Well, good morning, church. Today we uh, conclude our series called Declaration of Dependence. And this has been a series about the isolation that so many in our culture feel, that so many of us feel in our lives, without the relationships that are needed to walk on the journey of faith, the journey of life together. So week one, we talked about something that many of you actually, I know, put into practice. It was the idea that, that isolation is unhealthy, and we're seeing an epidemic in our culture among seniors, but also middle-aged men about, uh, about how isolation is one of the most serious complications to our health in our culture. And, it, and the Surgeon General of the United States is actually warning us this may be the greatest danger that we're facing. So what I counseled you on is it's actually, it's healthier to eat Twinkies in community than it is to eat broccoli alone. And we actually had a couple of people that took us up on that offer, uh, a couple of small groups and uh, the Davis family. And so thank you for living out uh, the, the commands of Scripture, I guess. So that's probably not fair, right? Uh, I know I have some health people who are going, Twinkies, really, that's probably not the best way. But uh, we're just glad we have Twinkies we can pass on. There was a scare there for a little while. But moving on, week two. Week, t- week two, we talked about not just the, the health risk of isolation, but it's, it's a danger to us. That if we've ever faced temptation and struggle with uh, substances or, uh, or sin in our lives, often that's come as a result of isolation. And isolation creates opportunities for temptation that's much stronger than those moments that we're surrounded by community. Uh, and then that, that sin that we walk into actually leads us into further isolation. And so it's this cycle in our lives of isolation leading to sin and sin leading to further isolation that really is trouble. And then week three, I just kind of got real with you and confess the church has not been a place where many of us have been able to share the deepest parts of who we are the doubts that we have, the questions that we have, the, the, the experiences that have brought us most alive. There's a fear. We talked about John 9 in that text where this, this guy blind from birth was healed and his parents, when asked, who was this who healed him? They said, well, ask him. He's of age, out of fear of the religious leaders. And how many of us have been most alive with experiences that we don't think we can even bring to the community of faith because we're afraid how leaders might respond? We're afraid of how people in our lives might respond. So we we pushed into being open and vulnerable with those things. I want to thank so many of you who came to me that, that uh, texted me, sent emails for the meetings we've been able to have. It's been a blessing to me to get to walk beside you, and I hope we'll continue to be a church that believes that the safest place you can bring the biggest questions of life is here rather than other places. It will become that kind of community. The last couple of weeks, we've been through family dedication and and our Senior Sunday, which are opportunities to remind us of the dependence we have, that we raise our children to follow Jesus, and there's a village, there's a community that does it together. Today, I want to conclude this series, though, with one more message. I want to talk about this idea of dependence. Um, and I'm going to talk about four things with you. I'm going to talk about introversion and extroversion. I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about Elijah. And then I want to talk about an experience I had with a life-size crucifix that changed my life. So we'll get to that in just a minute. But let's pray together. God, I I just pray this morning that your spirit, the spirit that hovered over the waters in Genesis 1, the spirit that gifts us with abilities to further your kingdom, that same spirit would be alive in this room, God. That the power of the resurrection and the power that many of us have had in spiritual experiences, God, we, we trust that power still at work in the world and it's changing us. And so I pray today, God, you would, you would flow through us, that you would use these stories and these texts from centuries ago, God, and you would breathe life into them as if they are new, spoken for the first time today. Pray this morning you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
we started the series in Genesis chapter 2. It's the first time that God says something isn't good in Scripture. This is what it says in Genesis 2 verse 18. It is not good for the man to be alone. And after this, Adam actually has a counterpart, Eve, who is created so that uh, we might have partners in life that are important people to journey with. But this idea of isolation and loneliness is something that even God from the very beginning has said, this is not good. But let's be honest, uh, some of us are thinking, you know, it's not too bad to be alone sometimes. Some of you wish you had more of that right now. I want to talk a little bit about extroverts and introverts this morning because we've got about half the room that are underrepresented on stage most Sundays, and those are introverts. I'm an extrovert. Uh, I love being around people. I love uh, every kind of interaction you can possibly have, but I'm married to someone who's different. Holly's an introvert. And many of you find yourself in the same place. Often in marriages and relationships, there's one that, that finds more life around people and some that are saying, let's get somewhere else. I'm kind of tired of being around people too much. And, and, and unfortunately, in our culture, we have valued extroversion to the detriment of introverts. In fact, there's a book that I, I came across recently called Quiet, that if you're looking for the value of introverts in our culture and our churches, it's a book you ought to pick up, uh, especially if maybe you're an extrovert who can't understand your spouse, this would be a great book to pick up to see the value of that. But it's not that my wife doesn't appreciate relationships. She just doesn't like the shallow stuff. And sometimes it's so easy for me to go on with conversation. She wants to sit across and really get to know someone one-on-one. It's harder sometimes in those more public settings when it's small talk and it seems to be just kind of moving from person to person. And I think that's the question. And it's important to know who you are because it's important to know How do you find life? That really is the question about if you're an introvert or extrovert is this. Do you refill best when alone or when you're with others? Some of us can fake extroversion, but the reality is where do you get your energy? Is your energy found in being around people or is it found getting off by yourself, having a quiet moment? And this has shaped my ministry because I set my schedule around the reality that I'm an extrovert. I get energy from being around people. Sunday morning is is like a playground for me. I love getting to know people and getting to know you all. But I'm tired on Sunday afternoon, and so Mondays I've got to figure out how am I going to refuel. And there's some preachers, they'll take off Mondays because that's the way they're going to re-energize. For me, I have about an average of six meetings on Monday, which some of you are like, that's a disaster. Why would you do that? But it's important to know who you are because being around people is the first thing I want to do on Monday morning. I want to get through the meetings, but I also want to be around people. I want to be at lunches with people because it fills me up. But it's important to know the difference between who you are and what it is that refills you. On Mondays, like I said, there are days that I look forward to. But we all need moments of both, don't we? We need moments of being in community. and We need moments of being in solitude and silence. So what do you think? Was Jesus an introvert or was he an extrovert? Uh, We don't know for sure, do we? But what he seems to find is he's able to strike a balance between these things. He finds a rhythm of being able to get away, and then he finds a rhythm of being able to move right back into community and make a major difference. And today I want to talk to you from the the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bibles or your phones, feel free to to open there. It's in your New Testament. You know, you got Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Then John tells the story of Jesus. So this is Luke chapter 4. I want to just kind of mention a text from 4, 5, and 6 that lets you know a little bit of the rhythm of of Jesus' life when it comes to these uh, ideas. Again, Jesus has spent 40 days and nights in isolation being tested by the devil in the wilderness before this. And then he moves right into ministry working with people. He's casting out demons. He's he's teaching sermons. He's preaching about the kingdom of God. But I want you to notice his rhythm in verse 4, how this works out. This is uh, chapter 4, I'm sorry. Chapter 4, 
verse 38. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. So you see this rhythm in Jesus' life of being with people, right? He's healing diseases, he's preaching about the kingdom, but watch what happens in the verses that follow that scene. Verse 42, at daybreak, Jesus went to, out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So Jesus goes into ministry, but then what does he do next? He finds a time of solitude. He sets aside a time where he gets up and he spends time with God. And, and I want you to notice what happens as a result of that time he spends with God. His mission is clarified in that moment. Because in the moment that falls, there are people that are coming and saying, come and do this. And he says, no, no, no. I, I have to go and teach the kingdom of God in other cities and other places. You see, the, the time of quiet with God clarifies the moment that's going to come after that. It's going to be stepping right back into community and mission. We have these rhythms in our lives. The busy thing is something we've got down. The harder thing for most of us is finding the times to get away and clarify who we are, why we exist, and what the mission God has called us on is to be. So I want you to think right now about the balance in your life. Different stages look a little different, don't they? Is your life right now on the edge of breakdown because you're just so busy and you're always on the go and just ministry, ministry, ministry. It's job, job, job. It's family, family, family. Or maybe, maybe you find yourself on the other you know, end of the spectrum. Maybe it is right now. This is a season of, of isolation, of loneliness, of feeling like you'd love to be more connected to people. There, there's a rhythm in Jesus' life where he finds his way into ministry, but then he steps away and he finds time to be alone with God. And that engage, helps him engage further the next time. Happens again in chapter 6, the next chapter. Uh, this is verses 12 through 16. He's been healing people. He's been hanging with sinners. He's talked to the Pharisees. And then watch what he does. This is... Chapter 6, verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Imagine that. Spent the entire night. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter. His brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. See, but before Jesus makes 12 of the most important decisions in his ministry, he spends a night in prayer before God. And some of you find yourself in a moment where you, you realize this is an important moment of discernment in my life. I've got to figure out something big. I want, to, I want to set this pattern in front of you, this rhythm. Before Jesus makes the big decision in his life about the 12 who will take his message to the world, he spends a night in prayer beside God. Clarifies everything in his life once again. Again, it is not, it's not healthy to be in community all the time. But it isn't healthy to be alone all the time. One leads into the other. So we need moments of isolation so that we can hear from God. But sometimes our isolation isn't healthy. It's less like hearing from God and it's more like running away from God. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want to move to another part of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament, 1 Kings 
chapter 18. It's the story of a guy named Elijah. Elijah was a prophet of God. And Elijah uh, hears from God clearly about some things, but he lives in a land. It's the land that, that Israel's supposed to be in charge. Ahab's the king at the time. Jezebel's the queen. But there's been other gods that the people have been following. They've set up places of worship to Baal and Asherah. And, and so Elijah decides it's time to call for a decision. And, and so he, they have this contest on Mount Carmel and and Elijah's on one side with, with an altar, and there's 450 prophets of Baal on the other side. And, and they're going to call out to their gods, asking the god to, to send fire down to burn up the sacrifice that they've laid out. And So the, the 450 prophets try and they fail, but, but God shows up for Elijah. It's this great mountaintop moment in Elijah's ministry. How many of you have ever been there, right? You have this great moment in your life, you think, God is so close, he's, he's active in my life. I know for, for certain that he's there, but it's followed by a valley that comes, an unexpected valley, maybe a phone call, or maybe it's an unexpected turn at work, or maybe it's a, it could be anything, right? Our high moments, we, we, we would love for life to stay there, but it seems like life is full of, of peaks and valleys. And that's what it is for Elijah. And in chapter 19 that follows, Jezebel has heard about the 450 prophets who, who've died as a result of this story. And, 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 and so she basically puts a hit out on Elijah. So Elijah goes on the run. He's running from God. He's in this low moment. He thinks he's all alone. And he runs off to a place called Mount Horeb. Now, there's two names for Mount Horeb, which is really important to know. The other is Mount Sinai. And if you're familiar with the Bible at all in the book of Exodus, there's a story on Mount Sinai, right? Sinai is where the marriage between Israel and and Yahweh, the God, uh, comes together, right? It's where the Ten Commandments were given. It's where they start their journey uh, of faith with God. It's a great moment where God clearly speaks. How many of you have ever been there in your life, right? You want to hear from God, and you've had a moment in the past where he's spoken, and so you want to go back there hoping you can kind of renew the relationship. Maybe some of you have been on a honeymoon before, and you you go back to that place where it all started, right, as a reminder of of the journey you've been on from the very start. That's kind of what Elijah does. He's he's at this low moment, so he goes far away to, to Horeb, to Sinai. And he's trying to find God there. For some of you, it may be a ski slope in Colorado. For others of you, it may be a retreat experience you had that you return back to year after year. For some, it's a moment of clarity after a journey of addiction. When you experience seasons where your relationship with God runs dry, it's so common, isn't it, for us to try to go back to revive what was alive at one point. And Elijah is trying to find a place of former glory so they can hear a word from the Lord again. He's actually feeling like a victim in this scene. So a few months ago, I was on a retreat, uh, and I was, I've committed to two years with uh, some, some mentors that are leading me to learn prayer in a deeper way, trying to learn silence and solitude and deeper rhythms of time away, kind of like what I'm talking about this morning. And I'm sharing some of this out of my, my own experience. It's been a great experience so far. But one, one time at this retreat, we were at this Jesuit retreat center. It was 20 ministers from our tribe that were there, and it's a great retreat spot. And so I, one day we were challenged to go spend three hours in prayer, which seemed pretty daunting at the time. Three hours, I don't, I don't know. But I was in this lonely moment, and it felt like what I was called to do is what I was called to do. And so I went off and, and, and went off to the edge of the property, and there was a bench that I sat out up there. And one of the texts that I opened up to was the text I'm preaching on this morning. It's First Kings 19. And I've heard this story preached before. I feel like I know this text. I've preached this story before, but, but it came alive in a whole new way because of where I was in my life and, and, and what unfolded before me. You see, I, I was there on this bench, and I was reading this story, and I thought I knew what it was all about. And, 
and, and I was feeling alone, and all of a sudden, Elijah's words rang true in a whole new way for me. In fact, I want to pick up in this story. This is 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9, the second half. Listen, listen to these words. These are words I read just a few months ago. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You hear this kind of poor me soliloquies on, right? And when I was reading that, I was like, yeah, that sounds familiar. It's just a season of loneliness, a season of not having heard from God, a season of playing the victim a little bit in my life. I read, I read on, and this is what happens. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And the great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You ever been there in this scene? God, I've done everything right, and wicked seem to prosper. God, where are you in the midst of this? And that was kind of what I was feeling in that moment. And as I'm reading this poor me moment in Elijah's life, I knew this text. All of a sudden, I look up from, from that bench I was sitting at, and I look up, and this is the scene that I saw. It was a life-size crucifix. It was a Jesuit retreat center. Now, I got to tell you, I've never really spent time with a crucifix before. We grew up in churches that tried to do everything we could not to come in contact with a crucifix. A crucifix is basically a cross with Jesus on it, right? And as I looked up, it I looked into Jesus' face, and it came alive in a whole new way, this text. Because here I am saying, God, I'm the only one. I'm all alone. Where in the world are you? You don't seem to understand at all. And I looked up, and it wasn't the face of judgment, but it was this face of, I know what it's like. I've been there when it's felt lonely. I even quoted the words of Psalm 22. God, you've forsaken me. That's what Jesus said when he was on the cross. I know what it feels like. And all of a sudden, I kind of went, oh, yeah, you do, don't you? I'm not the first person in history. And not only that, Elijah, as he's reading the story, I'm leading this, and there's a gentle breeze, a, perhaps a whisper in my ear. It just felt like God was trying to affirm, I see you. You ever had that moment before? You're crying out to God, and you're wondering, is he there? And all of a sudden, it's just this gentle sense, right? I see you. God hears the cries of the oppressed all through Scripture. He hears the cries of those who lift their plea to God, and sometimes it takes longer than what we'd like to fix it, but in that moment, it was like, okay, I'm not alone, and yes, God knows exactly what it's like. And as I was reading on in this moment of solitude, God was calling me back into community. Same story that Jesus told, same story of Elijah. Listen to these verses that follow in verse 15 when he calls Elijah to in the scene that follows. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. But this word was so important for me that day. 
Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knee have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Here I was this day saying, God, where are you? I was feeling a lot like Elijah. And I heard this word in a whole new way with Jesus right there. It was like, okay, you think you're the only one. But guess what? There's 7,000 more who've not bowed their knee to Baal. And how many of us, we get in these moments and we think we're all alone. We think we're the only one who's being righteous in the midst of this. We're the only one who's trying to do the right thing. And I think what God wants to say those moments, if we would get silent enough and we would walk aside to that rhythm of rest and back into community, what we'd find is God telling us, I see you and you're not alone. In fact, in Allen, there's thousands who've not bowed their knee to other stories who are ready to live into the same kind of community that you long for. That was such a word of of comfort in that season to know, okay, I'm not alone because Jesus gets it and Elijah's felt this before, but not only that, there are people you need to go back and appoint. There are people that you need to walk into community with. And in the scene that follows, you know what happens right after this? He meets up with a guy named Elisha. And Elijah ends up mentoring Elisha to become the next prophet over Israel. It's so easy in moments of pain to to step back and and kind of drop our eyes and forget what God's doing, think we're all alone. But what God wants to share with you today, what the dependence on community reminds us of is there are always people around you who need your story. The only way they'll be comforted is to know the, the deepest, most difficult parts of it so that they can hear basically two words that we all need to hear in those moments. Me too. Me too. Those are powerful words, aren't they? When you're in one of those moments and you think you're alone and someone hears your story and they go, I've been there too. This is how God kind of got me out of that. This has been such a hopeful story for me and I hope it will be for you. We're never as alone as we think we are. There are thousands in the city of Allen who hunger for the kingdom of God. We're surrounded by thousands in our area in Collin County that long to see the same things. Every Sunday when we gather here, there are hundreds who desire the same thing. We live in a time where people seem to want to do this thing with God, just them and God, don't we? And I get it because community can be difficult. You've heard about a lot of people that consider themselves spiritual but not religious and Part of me that likes that because I don't like the whole religion thing in a lot of ways. But part, part of the reason I don't like it is because I know how difficult and painful community can be. And so sometimes it's easier to just say, I'm going to throw that out. I'm going to find my connection with God, and that's going to be it. But we need community. When Jesus was asked the most important command, you remember what he said? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And I wish he would have stopped there, but he didn't. He says the, the second command is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, you don't get a choice to just love your neighbor and not love God. Wholeness isn't going to be found through that. But on the other end, you don't get a choice to just love God and not love your neighbor. Because wholeness isn't found there either. Not God's shalom, the peace that he wants to bring into the world. So this hard part of community is exactly what God calls us to It's part of how he transforms us. I love the way Jean Venier puts this as he talks about community. This is his quote. Community is the place where our limitations, our fears, and our egotism are revealed to us. Can anyone say amen? We discover our poverty and our weaknesses, our inability to get on with some people, 
our mental and emotional blocks, our affective and sexual disturbances, our seemingly insatiable desires and frustrations and jealousies, our hatred and our wish to destroy. While we are alone, we could believe we loved everyone. Now that we are with others, living with them all the time, we realize how incapable we are of loving, how much we deny to others, how much we are closed in on ourselves. Does that make sense? This is, the, this is genius of community, isn't it? It's the pain and the struggle of community. It's why I want to hit the snooze button some Sunday mornings just like you do. It's hard. There are moments you want to do this just you and God, and, but every moment of solitude pushes us back into community. And every moment of community pushes us back into solitude. It's this rhythm of creation that God gives us so we can remind us, I've called you for a reason. I've called you for a purpose. Now get back out there and love the community that's impossible to love because they need you as much as you need them. So that's what we've been saying over the last six weeks, isn't it? It's great, this theme of independence. I'm grateful for the, for the freedoms that we have, for the independence that's there. But the journey of faith is not to be meant to do alone. It's a team sport. So I hope that with me, you'll choose to make your declaration of dependence to realize how much you need God, but also how much you need one another. Even if it's not just for what will bless you, sometimes you're there to be convicted about what you need most in your own life. It's in marriage that I discover most how selfish a person I am. It's as I'm raising my kids in those difficult moments, I realize how sometimes the vision I had for what parenting would be, how much harder it really is, and the flaws that are there in me. Without those gifts, without those relationships, I would not see fully how selfish I am. So God, continue to work in us that, 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 uh, that transformation. It happens together. I want to pray as we, uh, we close our time, and then uh, I'll close this out in just a moment. God, I thank you today for this story, for the stories in Scripture, God, that remind us that we can't do this alone as much as we want to sometimes. God, I know there's a lot of pain in the room around people that we have sought relationship with, and sometimes we just kind of step back and we get cynical, God, and we, we play it at a safe distance from people around us. God, I pray you would, you would give us the courage again to walk back in more deeply to the relationships that are there. They're, the most life in our lives is found around people that we do life with, that are believers of yours, God, that are on a journey to look more like your son, Jesus. The world needs more of that, God. So God, form us through our relationships. Form us through the frustrations of this community of faith. It's not a perfect place, but God, that's exactly what you use to form us and to change us. And so God, I pray for that continued work in all of our lives. God, we thank you so much for Jesus, for his life, and for his resurrection, and for the spirit that he promised that lives in each one of us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.